Our scripture reading this afternoon is Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, And the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation? So far we read God's holy word. The text for the sermon is especially verses 7 and 14. Verse 7, and of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. And verse 14, are they, that is, angels, not all ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews, that is to Jews who were Christians, they'd been converted to Christianity, but then as they continued to confess Jesus, they faced opposition from their own family, from their own nation. The book of Hebrews, so they were beginning to wonder, 
beginning to wonder whether or not they should have left the Jewish religion and gone to worship Jesus as the Messiah. The book of Hebrews, therefore, sets forth Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And it does so so that these converted Jews will have no doubt that Jesus is the promised Messiah and the only Savior. That's why it starts out here in Hebrews 1 the way it does. In the past, God spoke to his people through prophets. But now in these days, it says in verse 2, hath in these days spoken unto us by his Son. And then some amazing things, that's Jesus, of course, some amazing things are said about Jesus, whom he, God, hath appointed heir of all things. Jesus is heir of all things, by whom also he, God, made the worlds, the whole, the universe, all the ages made by Jesus, who being the brightness or the radiance of his glory and the express image of his person or the express image of God's own essence, that's what Jesus is, upholding all things by the word of his power so that heaven and earth are being sustained by the word of Jesus. When he had by himself purged our sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, the rest of the book, much of the rest of the book, will be setting forth Jesus then as the better mediator of a better covenant. And the first thing that he will do in this chapter is to say, all right, you, you all respect angels. You know how great angels are. Jesus is far greater than the angels. Today, we consider the verses that will show the greatness of the angels and keep in mind, then, the whole purpose is not simply to show how great angels are, but to show how great Christ is. They are angels. Christ is the Son, exalted upon the throne of God. Nonetheless, the Bible has much to teach us about angels, and it's for our benefit to learn of that, to see how much God cares for us and the great salvation that we have. We are those spoken of in verse 14, those who are heirs of salvation. More literally, verse 14 says, those who are about to inherit salvation. Talking about the church living on this earth who are about to inherit salvation and how God is using angels for our benefit. So we examine these Two verses in Hebrews 1 under the theme, Angels, God's Spiritual Servants. Angels, God's Spiritual Servants. In the first place, we'll notice created spirits. Secondly, flames of fire. Interesting expression in verse 7. Flames of fire. What does that mean? And then thirdly, ministers to saints. And that's especially verse 14. Angels are created. God made angels. God is the eternal one who has no beginning. 
He created the heavens and the earth. He called into existence the mass of material, and then from that, he created the heavens and the earth. In the words of the Belgic Confession, Article 12, we read that God formed out of nothing the heavens and the earth, and then all creatures, as it seemed good unto him, giving unto every creature its being, shape, and form, and several offices to serve its creator. Every creature made specifically by God for a specific function. And then it says, he also created angels. These are one of the creatures that God made to serve their creator. These spiritual creatures have a few different names. They're called mostly angels, which means messenger. In Isaiah chapter 6, they are called seraphim from a word that means to burn. Those angels that were crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts, seraphim. They are also called cherubs, one cherub or two or three cherubim. And that word means guardian. And your children remember how when God sent Adam out of the garden and Eve because of their sin, that God put cherubim, angels, to guard the tree of life so that they would not ever be able to eat of the fruit again. Cherubs, guardians. God created angels in the beginning, that first week of creation, though the Bible tells us nothing about that. What day, exactly when? The number of the angels never changes. Angels do not reproduce as humans do. So whatever God created at the beginning, that's how many angels there are. They are always referred to as in the, with the male pronoun he or him. How many, God, how many angels God created? The Bible does not say, but the Bible does say he created many angels. Psalm 68, for example. Psalm 68 speaks of this in verse 17. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. Thousands of angels. And you remember Jesus' word to Peter when Peter took out the sword. Jesus said to him, if he had wanted to, he, had called, he could have called for many legions of angels. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 22 speaks of an innumerable number of angels. You can't count them. There are so many but the greatest number of that is made plain from Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 5, John sees a vision and he hears voices. John 5 verse 11, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. That's a hundred million. A hundred million 
angels and thousands of thousands, more than a hundred million angels praising God around his throne. Angels are emphatically creatures. That means they are dependent upon God, their creator, for their existence, for coming into being, and for their daily continuing to exist. As creatures, they are limited. Angels are limited as far as their location are concerned. Angels are not omnipresent. They can only be one place at one time, just as you and I can be only one place at one time. They are limited as creatures in their power. They are not omnipotent. Only God is omnipotent. But they do have much power. For 2 Thessalonians 1.17 speaks of mighty angels. Psalm 103 verse 20 speaks of angels that excel in strength. They excel in strength. They are more powerful than you and I because in 2 Peter 2 verse 11 where Peter is describing false prophets then he turns to angels and he says angels which are greater in power and strength. They have more strength, more power than you and I or any human being. Yet they are creatures limited to one spot at one time, limited in their power, though it's more than ours, limited, thirdly, in their knowledge of God, in their knowledge. God is omniscient. Angels are not. When Jesus speaks of the fact that no one knows the day or the hour of his return, he includes in that angels. They do not know either. Angels do not know the whole counsel of God. The counsel of God is in God's own mind. They only know what God reveals to them of his counsel. They are limited in knowledge. God created angels in an orderly way, as God does everything in an orderly way. There is a certain order in their authority. The Bible speaks of authorities, principalities, and powers about angels. Some are definitely higher. Jude, chapter, Jude verse 9 speaks of Michael, the archangel. An archangel is a high or mighty angel. And Daniel, chapter 10, verse 13, specifically speaks of Michael as one of the chief princes. So if Michael is one of the chief princes, there are others also who are exalted in the angel world. Only three angels are named in Scripture. Michael is one. His name, Michael, means... Who is like God? The word El is God in the Hebrew, and so his, God's name is embedded in that. Who is like God? Michael. And clearly he's the head of the angels who are fighting. They are at war. They are the ones God sends out to do spiritual battle. The second angel named is Gabriel. He also has the name of God embedded in his name. Mighty one of God is what Gabriel means. And he said he is clearly the chief messenger of God. 
sent to Zacharias, for example, and others. And he said to Zacharias that he, Gabriel, stands in the presence of God. The third angel is Satan. He does not have God's name embedded in it. Satan means adversary, and when he was a good angel, he would have been an adversary to anyone who might have been opposed to God. But he is a mighty angel. Jude 9 again says that Michael, the archangel, did not dare to bring a railing accusation against Satan, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Satan was ruler of many angels, perhaps a third of the angels. And when Satan fell, many of the angels followed him. Again, the, the scriptures seem to indicate perhaps a third of the angels fell with him. They are creatures. As creatures, they are not to be worshipped. Colossians 2 specifically warns against the worship of angels. And in the book of Revelation, a number of times, the angel who is guiding John through heaven says, do not worship me. Angels are creatures. But they are spiritual creatures. He maketh his angels spirits. That verse 7 says, they have a spiritual body. They have a body, but it's not a material, physical, earthly body such as you and I have. It is a spiritual body made for the spiritual realm. When God created all things, he created a physical, earthly creation, and he created a spiritual heaven, the heaven where God in his glory dwells, even though God is everywhere present, in a certain special way, God's glory is there in that spiritual heaven. God populated that spiritual realm with millions of angels. Heaven was not some dark, lonely place until people started dying and going to heaven. Heaven was filled with angels worshiping God in heaven. That's evident from the pictures that God gave us in the Old Testament. The tabernacle and the temple, which are God's dwelling place, in the tabernacle, the curtains that made up the rooms had angels woven into the fabric. And when Solomon constructed the temple, there were angels that were formed, graven into the wood, and then covered with gold. Angels surrounded the high priests and the dwelling place of God. Heaven is a spiritual place. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's not made for our physical bodies the way we are to live here. If we could be simply transported into heaven without being changed, we wouldn't see anything, we wouldn't hear anything, there would be no food or drink for us. We don't belong there. But angels do. 
That's their home. It's the realm of the spiritual where angels live. Angels were created good, morally and ethically perfect. And yet, they were able to sin. The fall of Satan and his host is the fulfillment of God's decrees. This is what God determined would happen. Satan, of course, of his own free will, led a revolt against God, wanting more power, wanting more glory, focusing on himself instead of on the glory of God. And he drew the angels with him, and they fell into sin. Heaven's history is very much connected with angels, both fallen and good, because after Satan fell, he was still allowed access to heaven. We know that from the book of Job, that he could still be there in heaven, could still accuse people in front of God's throne in heaven. It was not until Jesus accomplished the salvation of his people and ascended into heaven that Satan was cast out of heaven he and his angels never again to have access to that dwelling place of God. Devils, fallen angels, are spirits. The most common name for devils in the New Testament is evil spirits. They are spirits. They're not physical. You can't touch them, nor can they do physical things. Even though God sometimes would allow Satan devils to enter into people and possess them and to make their bodies to do things that they would not ordinarily do, that was a very unusual thing. We all know, the children remember how that man with a legion of devils in him, that Jesus, Jesus cast them out and they asked permission and he gave it and they entered into 2,000 swine that ran down the hill and drowned. But that's not the way angels are allowed to work today. They cannot open doors. They cannot turn on light switches. They are not physical entities. They are spiritual beings. The realm of the angels is the spiritual. They're able to see things in this life, obviously, to hear what is happening in this life, but we cannot see them unless... God gives them a physical appearance. And sometimes God did that and made them appear as men, as the two men, angels, who came with God to visit Abraham and then went to visit Lot. They appeared like men, just as the angels at the tomb of Jesus appeared as men because God made them appear to humanize that way. But the Bible describes them normally as having wings. And with those wings, they are able to fly swiftly. Why did God create angels? The text indicates that they are ministers or servants of God. Ministers or servants of God. The word service has two ideas that are part of that. The first is worship. To do service is to worship God. The angels do that. 
The second aspect of service is obedience to do the will of God or the command of God. The angels do that. We confess that in Lord's Day 49, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember how it talks about the fact that that every one of us may attend to perform the duties of his station and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. They serve God perfectly. And that's exactly the testimony of Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verse 20. We read that we read this. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Angels obey God perfectly. They were created for his glory. They were created to praise him. Among all the hundreds of millions and millions of angels that God created, some of them, I think the great majority, were elect angels. Elect angels. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21 says that. God chose them to remain faithful. Satan took a large number, but God preserved his elect angels. They're created to praise him. The Old Testament scriptures speak repeatedly of the fact that God dwelleth among the angels. The tabernacle with the two angels over the mercy seat. And we read often that the voice of God came from between the cherubim. God dwelt in the most holy place. Now you know that God uses means. God is almighty. He can do as he pleases. He can call the world into existence. He doesn't need anything. But God is pleased to use means. Let me illustrate that in in a number of different ways. First of all, salvation. God uses preaching to bring his people to salvation. In the cross, think of all the means God used to bring about the redemption in the cross of Jesus Christ. He used the devil, Judas Iscariot, Pontius Pilate, Caiaphas, the Roman soldiers, so many people God used as means to bring about his will, the crucifixion of his son. He uses means in our daily life. He uses employment and hard work and books and study He could just provide manna from heaven, but no, he uses means and causes us to work for our food. Well, God determined to use angels as means to accomplish his will in so many different ways. First of all, the word angel means messenger, and God oftentimes sent angels as messengers. Again, 
God sometimes spoke directly to people, and he can do that at any time, but he would use sometimes angels as means to convey his message to people, to Abraham, to Lot, to Joseph, Zacharias in the temple, to Mary, to the wise men, to warn them not to go back to Herod. God uses angels as means to convey his message. Angels are even God's means in providence, in the running of the world. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 1, we read of the angels at the four corners of the winds who did not allow the wind to blow. They were in control of that. And, and Ezekiel chapter 1 contains a vision of angels involved in the providence of God. If you want to read a fascinating account of that, the John Kelvin's commentary on Ezekiel chapter 1, beautiful, that describes how God uses angels in the providence of this world. So angels, created by God, spirits they are, belonging to the spiritual realm, angels who are used by God to worship him, used by God to do his service. And one of the things that they especially are called upon to do is to be a means for executing judgment. And that's the second point of the sermon, that God created angels, flames of fire. Flames of fire. That they are flames of fire, first of all, would indicate to us, remind us of the fact they are holy. They are holy. Angels are. They cannot sin. They cannot sin even though they were created with a possibility, yet these elect angels are chosen by God to remain faithful. God's grace will preserve them. You will not ever have to worry that in heaven there might be another angel that falls. There might be another rebellion against God. These are flames of fire. They are holy. Their holiness means that they will never sin. They are devoted to God. They live for him. They delight to do his will. As holy angels, they are filled with a zeal for the glory of God. A zeal for the glory of God. They are filled with indignation against any pride of man. They have seen their own. They have seen their fellow angels become filled with pride and revolt against God. And they hate pride because it vaunts itself against God. And therefore, any proud man is an abomination to an angel, to a holy angel, God's servant, flaming fire. This is evident from a number of examples. You recall the great Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and how Nebuchadnezzar exalted himself. And when Nebuchadnezzar looked over Babylon and said, Is not this that great Babylon that I have built? What happened? Daniel chapter 4. 
The king saw a vision, he saw a dream, and the dream later came true. And in his vision, he says in verse 13, I saw in my visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one, an angel, a holy one came down from heaven. And he said, hew down the tree, and the tree represented Nebuchadnezzar. Hew down the tree, cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, scatter his fruit, let the beast get away from under it, and the fowls from the branches. That's what the dream said would happen. And in fact, that's what did happen. And notice verse 17. This matter, this cutting down of the tree, this humbling of Nebuchadnezzar, is by the decree of the watchers and the demand of the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdoms of men. They were incensed at this pride of Nebuchadnezzar. In the New Testament, when Herod was speaking in front of a group of people, And the people said, to flatter him, it is the voice of a god. When Herod did not stop that, but in fact enjoyed that kind of praise, we read that an angel smote him with worms that he died. Angels cry out to the holy God, when they see proud man exalting himself against God. They are zealous for his glory. On the positive side, read the book of Revelation and how many times you don't hear the angels in heaven crying out, singing praises to God. They are so full of the zeal for God's glory. They are especially zealous for the work of God in salvation that work is the most glorious work of all of all god's work creation is marvelous but the work of salvation exceeds all things their zeal for this work of god is evident from first peter chapter one in first peter chapter one peter is writing about the fact that in the old testament the holy spirit had revealed things to the prophets And then it says, things about the Messiah now, things about the Messiah, his suffering, his exaltation. And then it says at the end of verse 12, 1 Peter 1, verse 12, which things the angels desire to look into. Of all the works of God, this one especially they desire to look into, to examine it to rejoice in this glorious work. They were interested in every aspect of this saving work. When the prophets would be given a message and speak the word to the people about the Messiah, the angels would be abuzz talking to each other about the latest revelation that God had given to his people about the Messiah. This was figuratively seen in the most holy place of the tabernacle 
as the two angels had their wings spread out and their heads looking down at the mercy seat where the blood would be sprinkled. Because that was a picture, a picture of the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ in the cross. The angels were interested, vitally interested, in the coming of the Messiah, in the great salvation that God would give. Somehow through a man taking on the wrath of God, dying and yet being exalted. They didn't understand it all either, but they were eager to look into it. Can you imagine how full of joy an angel would be to be selected, to be part of the group that went to announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. Angels are zealous for the glory of God, especially in the work of salvation. But that God made them flames of fire also points to the fact that the angels are used for bringing wrath and judgment upon the ungodly reprobate. The parable of the wheat and the tares and other chapters in the book of Revelation indicate that, that the angels are used to gather the elect, whoever are remaining at the end of the ages, gather the elect out of the world and then gather the reprobate to their judgment and their punishment. The Old Testament examples also indicate that angels are the, the instrument that God used to bring judgment. You children remember these stories well. You remember how Israel was in Egypt and Moses said, take the blood of the lamb and put it on your doorpost. And those who do not, the angel of death came and killed the firstborn in every house. You remember how when Sodom was to be destroyed. God sent angels to deliver Lot so that destruction could come upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And you remember how when the Assyrian army was around Jerusalem and they were starving the people inside and the angel of death came and killed 185,000 soldiers in one night. An angel of death. God uses angels. Likewise, in the book of Revelation, when the seven trumpets are blown, tr trumpets of judgment, who are blowing them? The angels. It is angels who are pouring out the vials of God's wrath. It's the angel that is told to stick in his sickle and to gather the wicked out of the earth. They are even connected with the final judgment. In Revelation chapter 14, we read about how Satan will drink of the wine of the wrath and the wicked will drink of the wine of the wrath of God. In verse 10, Re Revelation 14 verse 10, and he, the angel shall be, that is Satan, shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels 
and in the presence of the Lamb. It would seem even that the angels are there not only to witness this and to approve of the judgment of Satan, but to guard hell. No one will ever come out of hell. They will spend an eternity there. Angels, flames of fire, holy, devoted to God, zealous for his glory, instruments, agents of judgment. But all that serves the final truth that God made his angels ministers of the saints. Ministers of the saints. Verse 14, as we pointed out, speaks more literally of those who are about to inherit salvation. They're about to inherit salvation. Now, that reminds us, of course, that the word salvation can have different emphases. Generally speaking, salvation means deliverance from sin and death unto eternal life. But it can have more, a more narrow meaning, as it does here in other places, where salvation refers not, first of all, to being saved from sin, but from the fact that those people who are in heaven will someday have their completed salvation. They have salvation in principle. They have forgiveness, justification, sanctification. They are preserved. Even in principle, God's people on this earth have glorification. And yet, it's all in principle. It isn't complete. It isn't the fullness. And they long for that, to have the fullness of their salvation. The work of the angels serves those who are about to inherit salvation. They work for the benefit of God's people. How do they do that? Well, in general terms, they serve God. So whatever God sends them to do, they accomplish it without fail. They serve for the benefit of God's people. They are sent by God for the service of his church. God sends them to do something and they accomplish it. And, and they don't do that as a robot. They do it with zeal, with activity, with love for God and love for the church. Perhaps we can be a little more specific. They are guardians. That's one of the names for angels, guardians. They guard the saints spiritually. They are involved in a spiritual warfare against the devil, the devil who seeks to destroy every single person, especially every elect, seeks to destroy us. The angels are fighting on behalf of the church. The book of Daniel makes that plain. The children remember the story of Daniel being cast into the lion's den. And how the king came back the next morning and said, Daniel, is your God able to save you? Not expecting any answer. And Daniel said in Daniel chapter 6, O king, my God hath sent his angel 
and has shut the lion's mouth that they have not hurt me. Now that's a picture. That's an Old Testament picture of how angels, God uses angels for the protection of his people. A little bit more is told us in the book of Daniel chapter 10. This is a fascinating passage. Daniel is in a trance and an angel comes. This is Daniel chapter 10 verse 11. The angel said to Daniel, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. So this is a messenger from God. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then he, the angel, said unto me, to Daniel, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard. So previous to this, Daniel had prayed a beautiful prayer there in, in, in Daniel chapter 9. And it said that your words were heard right away. But for some reason, the angel didn't arrive right away. Why not? He's, the angel says, I am come for thy words. Because of thy words, I am come. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. The king, the, the, rather the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And that has to be then a spiritual being, a, a devil, a devil who was assigned to the kingdom of Persia was withstanding this angel who was coming to Daniel. But, says the angel, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now again, the exact interpretation of that is, is pretty difficult. But the idea is clear. There is a spiritual warfare out there. And the angels are fighting on our behalf over against the devils who would destroy us. Who would destroy us. They cannot, of course, touch us and give us diseases or cut off our heads. But they would destroy us by arousing the hatred of this world or causing the world to pass laws and bring armies that would destroy the church. That's what the devils intend. And the angels somehow are standing opposed to that so that the world cannot destroy the church until it is God's word that the world come after the church and persecute her physically. God uses means. God uses devils. Again, you remember the story where Ahab and Jehoshaphat are together and Ahab wants to go fight against Syria so badly. And then there were prophets there who were saying, go and fight. 400 prophets of Baal saying, go fight. You'll have the victory, Ahab. And then the prophet of the Lord reveals what happened. God was in heaven. And he said, who will convince Ahab to go fight? 
how shall we convince Ahab to fight? Now, this is all figurative to help us understand. And a lying spirit said, I will, I will go into those prophets, and I will be a lying spirit, and I will convince Ahab to go and fight, and Ahab will be killed. That was God's purpose. He used devils to put a false word into these false prophets to convince Ahab to go fight, and Ahab would be killed. God uses means. So now the question is, how does God use angels for our good, for our salvation? Again, God is omnipotent. He doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need any angels to assist him in this. But as he uses devils for his purpose, he uses angels for his purpose. And angels met Jacob when he was on his way to meet Esau. Angels ministered to Jesus after those 40 days in the wilderness when, the, when Satan tempted him. Angels ministered to him. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus is facing the horrible agony of the cross, angels ministered to him in ways then that we cannot concretely say God is using angels for our salvation. Now again, salvation is of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us every blessing of salvation. We don't pray to an angel and ask the angel to bless us. That, that would be totally inappropriate. And yet, God uses them. Is it possible that angels encourage us by bringing to mind a particular passage of Scripture that, that we need to think about at a, a difficult time? Is it possible that they contradict some evil that Satan intends upon us? Is it possible that they lead others to encourage us when we need it, or maybe to rebuke us when we need a rebuke? Do they call on God? They call on God for the judgment of the wicked. Do they also call on God for the help of his people? Psalm 91 verse 11 says, God gives his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. We do not need to know what all that means how the angels are doing that but we know there are angels helping to keep us in the way that we should go that itself is tremendously encouraging those who are about to inherit salvation they will, they will inherit salvation, glory, eternal life, life with God in the new heavens and the new earth, and angels will be there. They will be. Because Hebrews 12 speaks of that innumerable company of angels in and with the church in heaven. That's where it speaks of that. 
And then the angel that John sees where the church comes down from heaven and it's a beautiful city. That's the picture. And at 12 gates, every gate is an angel. Perhaps welcoming God's people, perhaps singing them into their place in glory, guarding the city. No evil will ever come into the city of God in heaven. In heaven, we will be over angels. Now they're over us. They are greater in power and might. But in heaven, that will be reversed. We will be adopted sons and daughters made perfect. They will still be servants, serving us. And we must not, must not have some kind of an earthly conception of that as if we can have angels at our beck and call and, yeah, I want this and I want that, and they'll go run and do what we want. That's not the point. But think about heaven. In heaven, we will be devoted to God perfectly. The whole of our being will be devoted to serving God. And angels will be there to assist us in that. We will want to know God, to praise Him. Perhaps they will help us to know God better. Perhaps they will speak of ways that we can serve Him the best possible way. Or will they maybe assist us as we have a project? I don't know what heaven will be like. No one does, but... We will be working there. Will there be projects that we want to, to do that will praise God and the angels will assist us? There are servants. There are servants. Again, all this the Bible does not tell us. We only need to know that angels will be there to serve us. Imagine Jesus Christ sitting upon the throne with millions upon millions of angels that he can send forth at his command for the good of his church. He's doing that now, and he can do that eternally. Angels will serve us by taking us to heaven, taking our souls into glory. All of this should make us simply stand in complete awe of God, his glory, his wisdom. A hundred million angels plus each one of them having a place and a function that God has determined for that angel and that angel and that angel. Serving God, serving his people. Not one of us will ever be lost. We will be preserved, of course, by the power of God, but he uses angels to be sure of that. His people will not be lost. Purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, preserved by his power, with millions and millions of angels 
to take care of us. For us, who are the heirs of salvation, how God loves us. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thy glory is beyond our comprehension. And there's so much that we will have to learn, that we'll be able to learn and enjoy eternally. We thank thee for a little picture of thy work in the spiritual realm and of thy great wisdom, thy great power, and the tremendous salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. We thank thee for angels. We pray all this for Jesus' sake. Amen.